0: Welcome to Dyslexics Wanted, produced by the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia. This is Jordan Rich. This podcast celebrates the unique strengths and creativity so often the hallmark of people with dyslexia. I'm going to feel like a kid again because joining us is a terrific writer and creative force, R.S. Millette, originally from the East Coast and now living in California, where he works at turning imaginary friends into real ones. He had a terrific gig in television working on Xena, Warrior Princess. He created and wrote the Xena Scrolls for Universal's new media department and was part of a team that won a Golden Reel Award for ADR editing. He's worked and blogged for the film festival Dances with Films, is a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators in Los Angeles, and has crafted an exciting new young adult science fiction novel called Kaya and the Morian Treasure. You might hear me mispronounce Kaya in the body of the interview, but R.S. forgives me. What makes his story so poignant and such a part of Dyslexics Wanted is the fact that, like all of our other guests, he has risen above his dyslexia. So let's strap our belts in and meet a terrific guy as we take off into the stratosphere with R.S. Millette, a fun, funny, and dynamic producer of entertainment. Here we are with a very fine writer and a man who's making a name for himself in the world of uh, sci-fi and geekdom, and I'm one of those members of the Geek Squad, <laughs> R.S. Millette. Welcome. It's so nice to meet you, sir, and congratulations on a brand new book that we're going to talk about. That must be pretty exciting.
1: It is exciting. This is, this is my baby. I first wrote this in 1996, so uh, uh, I've had other things published since then, but this is, um, this is the one that I love most.
0: Well, let, let's talk right off the bat about this, and then I want to backtrack and, and take a look at your career and how you got into this in the first place. It's kind of by accident, and it's a cool story, as, as well as you're dealing with dyslexia. I don't want to mispronounce it. Is it Kaya or Kia? Uh,
1: I call it Kaya.
0: Kaya and the Morian Treasure, aimed at people like me or young adults who love this kind of fantasy. <laughs> Give us a synopsis, if you would, RS.
1: It's basically Xeno, Warrior, Princess in Space. I worked on Xena uh, as and I wrote the Xena Scrolls which were on the website and oh I'm kidding An echo, don't you love that? Um, anyway, the uh, the Xena Scrolls were on the website and I was but they were up there for free. I was writing, I was working in the writer's office. I didn't have a contract they to write this stuff which were basically scientists translating the ancient writings about Xeno Warrior Princess, which was a way of recapping each episode. And uh, when the money started coming in and they started actually being able to make money on the website, then the lawyers got involved and it all fell apart. So I couldn't get a deal with Universal to use their characters and they couldn't get a deal with me to use my characters. So I decided to take... The concept of Xena, which was a female hero, a female sidekick who narrates in the Xena Scrolls, she narrates, and not make an issue about it being, you know, female heroes, and just take that concept and move it into outer space. Because
0: I love space opera. You realize you so, were like 20 years ahead of your game here, because that everyone's oh, doing it now, but you came up with the idea many years prior.
1: Tell me about it. Uh, <laughs> Star Wars, I had. Uh, you know, I, I had written it as a screenplay, and it was getting around town a little bit. I think it had gotten to the creature shop. And then I was watching one of the Star Wars movies where uh, the heroes are about to be executed in a stadium, and the result of that starts a war. Ah, oh, man, that's the end of my book. <laughs> oh, so I'm not giving too much away <laughs> in that. It, uh, and I went back and I changed my ending, and then I thought, and it was terrible. Uh, so I changed it back to mine because I figured, well, they might have stolen it from me, but I stole it from Robin Hood.
0: Let's tell everybody who and there may be a few out there who aren't aware of the whole xena Hercules tie-in because it started out as a as a Hercules spin-off, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Absolutely, you you uh, you do have your geek card.
0: Thank you, thank you. I <laughs> uh,
1: yeah, um, it was part of what Universal called the Action Pack, and uh, they had they were giving filmmakers TV deals to make to make uh, short um, TV series, and that's how Hercules got started. It's also how Captain Zoom got on the air, which was which eventually kind of became Galaxy Quest. Uh, much mm. to Brian Levant, who created Captain Zoom. Captain Zoom was the same thing as Galaxy Quest, except uh, it was with uh, Flash Gordon.
0: Okay, gotcha. gotcha. Um,
1: or, or a ty- that type of, you know, uh, thing. Sort of And uh And then Galaxy kind of Quest was like, well, nobody remembers Flash Gordon. Let's do Star Wars, Star Trek. Right. And he you know, made an excellent movie out of it, but um, Brian wasn't too happy. Um, anyway... Uh, yeah, Hercules uh, then became a full series off of that, and Zena then spun off from Hercules. So you know, Zena was a uh, much more fun to write because she was a bad girl. She you know had a horrible past of being a, a warlord type person, mm-hmm. uh, but she's changing her ways for the good. Um, what, so okay. she had such. Great stuff to to start with, and I'm doing the same thing in, in my space opera. Yeah. Uh, Hercules had a problem because he's perfect. You know what? What can a writer do with a half god, perfect person you know, who's
0: always good? <laughs> yeah, they're they're having that trouble with Thor. They're trying to figure out what to do with him these days. Lucy yeah. Lawless was the actress who played uh, Xena. What a perfect name for a bad girl, Lucy Lawless. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think she she had married into that name, yeah, uh, and kept it after the divorce.
0: Well, smart. I want to do this. I want to back up a little bit, and uh, before we get to how you even sort of wandered onto the lot in a weird way, and and serendipity is everything. You're here because we wanted to highlight the great work you're doing and the creative work you're doing, and the fact that you uh, deal with dyslexia and you've used it like a super. Power, like the force, <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to to become a successful uh, entertainer and writer. So, take us back to the early days, if you would. RS uh, in school and you can call and, me what? Robert, by the way. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, okay, and you can call me J.R. or Jordan. I don't care. But why why the RS? Why don't we get that out of the way?
1: Oh, it's uh my um the narrator of the book is female, and so uh, my agent way back in the day, was like, do you mind if we go with a gender-neutral version of your name? I'm like, sure. <laughs> so it's Robert Sidney, R.S. Millette, but I go by Robert.
0: All right, Robert. Robert. My wife's name I, is Roberta Sidney. Isn't that weird? Um, oh, that's funny. Um Okay, so you're you're Robert right now for me. What was Robert's Sure,
1: cuz I think I think the gender thing is out of the bag when you do a interview. <laughs>
0: yeah, I think so. Although today no no one really knows what's going on with all this fluidity. But what
1: this is true. We're what was all...
0: what was school like for you and what were some of the challenges? Uh,
1: I was incredibly lucky when it comes to dyslexia in many many ways. Um, I do remember in first grade we had a Dick and Jane Readers, mm-hmm. um, which has turned into kind of an adult stand-up, which I won't do, but uh, <laughs> we had, um, and there was one page like three-quarters of the way through the book that didn't have any pictures, and every, on day one, everybody was afraid of that page, except the friggin' kids who could already read, you know. Um, I hated them.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Big <laughs> shots.
1: But... We were, all, we were all afraid of that page, and I, that, I kind of bonded with some people over the fear of that page, but as we got closer and closer to it, I was the only one afraid of it. Uh, and I, I remember that very specifically. I also remember becoming a bad kid. Uh, I don't remember specifically, but I was kind of a bully. I was kind of uh, uh, I was just a bad kid. And my parents were, were devastated because, of course, to them I was perfect.
0: Right, right.
1: Uh, and, and, and so they.
0: You, were were you ahead. bullied actually yourself because of your dyslexia first or what?
1: No, I think I was. Uh, I, cause, you know, in first grade, uh, I don't think a lot of people notice because everybody's learning to read. I just kind of wasn't, you know, and this is like halfway through first grade. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think I was lashing out. You know, I was covering up. I was afraid. You know, it was, and I remember very specifically. I remember not wanting to be a bad kid, and that's something I think everybody can take away from uh, from my story. At least is that uh, kids who are becoming bad in when they're really young, they don't want to. Something's wrong. Mm. You know, and you've got to sit them down and try to f- figure it out. And I was lucky enough that my parents, you know, had assumed that I was perfect. And so they were completely uh, floored by the fact that I was becoming a bad kid. And uh, they asked my kindergarten teacher, uh, Mrs. David. My I owe my life to many people, and, and she's one of them. She said, uh, oh, because my parents asked, was he a bad kid in kindergarten? she said, no, no, it was perfectly fine. Have you had him tested? That was my first big lucky break. My second big lucky break is that I grew up in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And there's a school called Summit School that had been founded in the 40s, I think. And one of the founders of the school, Mrs. Futrell, had, uh, had gotten training from, I can't remember the person's name, but their name is now on a big, thing Of how to treat dyslexia or, or the, the method, you know, like Stanislavski or something for method acting. I don't mm-hmm. know. Um, but uh, Mrs. Futrell had actually trained with her. And Summit School had a whole thing about uh, dyslexic kids and, and tutoring dyslexics in my hometown. So, oh boy, was I lucky. But I don't know. I don't know if my parents could afford it. I don't know what happened exactly, but my mom ended up getting a job at the school, so I could go in as a faculty kid.
0: Ah. I was going to say, your dad uh, in your bio—your dad is a novelist as well. Did that yes. enter into it early on when you were just a little kid? Did Did he help try to uh, help you as a writer? Or?
1: Probably. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and he's uh, you know he's been a struggling novelist all his life. He's still not particularly published. Uh, he did got a piece out in college that went national. Uh, it was called The uh, uh, the Raid of the Panty Brigade <laughs> uh, or The Ride of the Panty, something like that. Anyway, it, it, it went out national and so he was all excited about that and blah, blah, blah. And he, he never got a book out. But I do remember falling asleep constantly to the sound of his electric typewriter hammering uh, away. <laughs> uh, I used to get worried when it would stop. It's like, oh, is he mad at me? For no particular reason. He never... <laughs> Nothing ever happened. He was just thinking. <laughs> I could sleep when it was typing away, and I couldn't when I wasn't. Was funny the things kids make
0: up. Robert, tell me well, in the audience before we go any further. What? What? How did it manifest? Was it strictly reading, or did you have trouble writing as well?
1: Hard for me to say. It was, you know, it was definitely reading. Uh, but I got tutored in second grade, so uh, a lot of what. Um, you know, a lot of the ways that it might have been manifested, I know that I can't draw. I still cannot. I mean, I just, it's, I can't, I'm amazed when I see what people do with a piece of paper and and hmm. pen or colored things. I cannot draw. I can do lighting design. I love lighting design. But, um, uh, so there's that spatial kind of, you know, I, I know that that's kind of a symptom. Mm Uh, my wife, I actually listening to your podcast, I didn't find out until, you know, preparing for this interview that, uh, that being forgetful can be a dyslexic trait, Mm -hmm. uh, which is always, I've always been that way. Mm -hmm.
0: Um,
1: so thank you. (laughs)
0: um,
1: it was, yeah, it was mainly, it was mainly, uh, uh, you know, the typical stuff for a, probably a mid-level dyslexic kid, uh, reading really slow, um, I remember one time, and I remember this specifically because I have always loved, like, Nova. And whenever they're doing a piece on the brain when I was a kid for, on Nova, mm. I would just eat it up. And I remember one time sitting on my dad's lap, and we were reading. It must have been the Dick and Jane readers. We were sitting there reading something uh, that was really, really boring. And I got down to a word on the bottom of the page, and I didn't know the word. And my dad kind of flipped out. He's like, you know that word. And I was like, no, I don't. You know, I can't figure it out. And he said, what's this word up here? The point of the top of the page, Sally, what's this word down here? I don't know. It was the same word. Hmm. But interestingly, hmm. it was at the bottom of the page. Yep. And the way I was sitting, my nose was blocking one of my eyes from seeing that part of the bottom of the page. So I was only seeing it with one eye. Hmm. Years later, when I'm watching Nova and they had the epileptics where the brains had been split to, to stop uh, seizures, left and right lobes of the brain were not, you know, the communication between the two were split. And you could cover one eye and say, point to the cow out of four pictures, and they could point to the cow. You, point, you cover the other eye and you say, what's this? And point to the cow, and they say, I don't know.
0: Hmm. Fascinating.
1: Um, yeah. So it was, yeah, that was just really like, wow, that's kind of interesting. I don't know what that is, but I distinctly remember that whole thing. Um, but in terms of manifestation, yes, it was just basically reading, uh, spelling, of course. Uh, you know, and it's it's things like that non-dyslexics don't understand. You know, the letter E, unless it's actually upside down in a dictionary, making it a schwa, it doesn't matter which way it faces. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter anything about it. A small e is whatever direction it's facing is an e.
0: Right, right. Perception <laughs> of, of dyslexics is is different than, say, my perception, and it's it's it strikes us, those who are not dyslexic, is very odd, but to you that's what it looks like and uh, yeah, how a, it manifests itself. It's
1: three-dimensional, you
0: know. Right. Uh, I've got to ask you, because we'll get to the the interesting story that brought you to the television world and got you in the door, but were you, as a kid then, escaping in, into science fiction as many kids do, partially a way to get away from this stress? And, and when did you begun, When did you begin the love affair with science fiction? Well,
1: I remember I remember Star Trek, the original series, uh, and well, TV for one. Um, because TV can, you know, every human being's brain is hungry for stories. Um, but when you're dyslexic, it's like you've got this supercomputer of a brain and somebody's feeding in one computer card at a time, you know, mm. it's so slow and it's so boring. And you, and all the stuff that I was having to read to get my eyes going left and right, left and right, left and right was was, you know, child stuff. And I was checking out, I remember i checked out several times the book, uh, Time Life book, uh, Light and Time, because I was fascinated by it. This is like second, third grade. And bringing it home for my dad to read to me. Um, and so, you know, it started, I guess, as a love of science. I do remember, um, like I said, Star Trek. Uh, and my mom saying, oh, you've seen that one before. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I was like, no, I'm watching it again. Yeah. Uh, So also, science fiction is very smart, Um, much like, uh, you know, watching Marvel, uh, all the Marvel comic stuff. I never read comics, but I love the movies. And I remember thinking, this is really cool because all the characters, the heroes and the villains are just really smart. Mm -hmm. You know, what a great thing for kids to to latch on to, whether you want to be a villain or a hero.
0: And, and Star Trek has been a huge influence on my life and it, on millions of people. But the fact that it told a story in dramatic 3D fashion that anyone can follow uh, or most people can follow, it lifts you up into that new story arc. It's really, uh, really wonderful. And now yeah. would, would you share with us how you got to the point where you could be accepted as a writer and get into the Xena staff? Because I thought that was a pretty – that's like a Hollywood story <laughs> waiting to happen. <laughs>
1: Well, I had um, uh, I'd started on the lot at Universal in a, in a department called Television Information Services. A friend of mine had started the department as his college thesis, uh, or code, started it. And um, so I was setting up computers for writers and things, and, and that job kind of went away. I was also putting the software on, and uh, like so many dyslexics, computer stuff makes sense. It has rules. The rules... Don't change. Yeah. Um, so I was naturally good at that, and I ended up when I when that job went away, I ended up being an assistant. You know, the people whose computers I was servicing and the software I was setting up for, I ended up just being the user of the computers mm-hmm. and the software, I was temping on a lot at Universal. And I had floated onto a TV show called Mantis as a writer's assistant. Mm-hmm. That show lasted one season, which was one season too long. <laughs> uh, it went down, but that, that gave me the experience to be a, a writer's assistant or what's called a script coordinator. And I was, so I was back to temping. And I was temping in the studio rental department, which is the dullest. Oh, my God. <laughs> Somebody wants to shoot a commercial, they want to rent the back lot, they call the thing, and I transferred to some sales rep. I'm sitting there at this really boring desk and somebody handed me a fax and said, here, this came to the wrong number, throw it away. And I looked at it and it was the pattern, they call it the pattern budget, what each episode is roughly going to cost for a TV series. It was the pattern budget for a new show called Xeno Warrior Princess. And there was a note written on it from Eric Grunderman, the line producer, who said, uh, since we've got the green light, I guess we have to do it for this. So I didn't throw it away. I called Renaissance Pictures, the number on the thing, and said, "Are you guys waiting on a fax from New Zealand?" Yes, yes, we are. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I fax, I put my contact information on there, and so if you need a writer's assistant or a script coordinator, uh, you know, call me. Uh, that got me an interview with uh, R.J. Stewart, the the head writer, who was a great guy, but he didn't hire me. Um, he didn't hire anybody. And Rob Tappert, the uh, executive producer, uh, they needed somebody in the office to help get it set up and, you know, get somebody hired. And he kept telling his assistant, who was the guy who said yes, um, you know, just get somebody in there. So he called me, and I got the job as RJ's assistant, uh, even though he didn't hire me. So later when I got fired, I can now say, you can't fire me. You never hired me.
0: I love your sense of humor anyway. I've been reading a lot about you and some of the quotes in other interviews. That is a great line. Oh, well, but but seriously, uh, it's all about being in the right place at the right time. And the fact that you've gone through all kinds of steps to improve your ability to communicate and read and, you know, really overcome the challenges, this was a lucky break. You still need a lucky break to get through.
1: You know, what's the military say? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity.
0: That's right. Absolutely.
1: Well, if you're a dyslexic man, you have been preparing for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now, uh, so you get involved in the show. The show's a hit, by the way, and it's a great show. It's got a cult following. And then uh, tell us again about how you got into the the web uh, area aspect, the web um, creation.
1: Whenever I ran into somebody, before the show aired... And they'd say, oh, what are you working on? And I'd say, oh, I got my I'm on this show called Xeno Warrior Princess. They'd say, really? Is that a cartoon? <laughs> yes. Well, the, I ran into a friend of mine who, start, who was in television information services, where I started. Uh, and I said, I'm working on Xeno Warrior Princess. And he said, really? And I expected the cartoon line. But he said, I'm doing the website. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And you talk about opportunity, another opportunity. I said, do you want to meet with the writers? Now, this is 1994, 95.
0: Early in the day.
1: Um, Yeah. Early in the day. TV, you know, uh, maybe a TV show had a website. Um, You know, and it's just being thrown together by television information services who basically just provide PCs to production uh, offices. Mm, Right. So uh, he said, yeah, sure. So I scheduled a meeting with him and RJ and. Uh, Stephen Sears, Stephen L Sears, who's uh, and by the way, RJ and Steve are great, great, great guys. I love dropping names of people who are who are so nice. Um, set up a meeting. RJ's like, "Why are we in this meeting?" My answer to myself was, "Something's going to come out of it that needs to be written, and I'm the only person available to do it." Hmm. I didn't tell him that. I said, "I don't know. Uh, you know, they're they're doing a website. Thought it might be something to do." I said, okay. So we went to that meeting. RJ had always said. Um, he kind of pictured the show as, you know, the, the, uh, the show was dug up in some archaeologist place, you know, and there were these scrolls, and that was the show. So, um, so we kicked that around, I think Steve kicked in, you know, the idea of doing the Xena Scrolls and blah, 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 and I ended up being, of course, the one to write it. So that's how I got the Xena Scrolls on the website the the translation, the archaeologists were translating these ancient writings. And I remember I was doing the first one and writing along, and I thought, wait a minute, and then I walked into R.J.'s office, and I said, uh, can Gabrielle, Gabrielle's a sidekick, so can Gabrielle read and write? We only had like one and a half scripts done at this point. And he thought about it, and, and before he answered, I said, wait, 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 she can read a map, because in his episode she reads the map. She can read a map, she can read and write. He said, absolutely, yes, 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 she can read and write. Um, So I made her the author of The Scrolls. Well, that made it to the show in a big way. Um, You know, she kind of became the narrator. uh, When they needed a clip show one time, uh, which is... You're over budget. You're overscheduled. Right, right. You know, when a, on the sitcoms when they sit around on the couch and go, "You remember that time?" <laughs> the and they show, show a clip.
0: Yep, <laughs> I know the all about show, it. Yeah. I know all about it. That's great.
1: Um, they use the Zena, they use the Zenith Scrolls structure as a clip show, and I got story credit for it. My story was not anything close to what they uh, what
0: they but, used. But but you got screenwriting credit, which is a big deal on a major television show, right? Huge.
1: It is big deal. It was also the first intellectual property to go from the web to television. Hmm. Thank you very much.
0: Very good. I can't even get a cup
1: of coffee with that.
0: <laughs> well, I'm impressed, if anybody cares. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. I, I did I did want to uh, bring it back to the current book, then, which is a terrific offshoot of all the work you're doing, and ask you about the process, not the, the ideas. You've got ideas flowing in every direction, but what you'd do to actually write a novel, I wrote a book, uh, memoir that took me forever, and I had a lot of help. And it's writing a book is like a guy birthing a baby, a bowling ball through the uh, you know what belly button. It's just impossible to even imagine. How did how did you take this project on writing a book?
1: Um, it's uh, it is interesting because first I wrote it as a screenplay because that's what I know. Right. Um, when it. I got a lot of attention. I got a couple of managers. Got people interested. It made it as far as a weekend read. It imagine, um, which is huge. Uh, it it was getting lots of attention, so I knew it was good. But everyone was saying it was too big to be a movie without uh, without a following. Have you thought about making it into a book? I did theater in California, for, in Los Angeles, for a long time, and we had so there were so many screenwriters who'd never done theater and they would come in and say yeah well you know I couldn't sell it as a screenplay so I'm going to do it as a stage play so I can get people in to see it and then make it into a movie well the reason it couldn't be made into a screenplay in the first place was because it was terrible Mm. and then to try to make it into a play made it even worse and I was like you know my art's not your stepping stone back away so I didn't want to be that guy you know the one who's like oh my screenplay didn't sell so I'm going to make it a novel so I can turn into a movie But I did need to make it into a novel. Mm. So I had to learn the whole art. You know, I was like, if I'm going to do a novel, I have to craft this. I have to make the novel the best version of the story, Uh, make it into a real novel. So I took the screenplay, adapted it fairly quickly, uh, and then um, took that novel version, gave that novel version to my dad, who ripped it apart. uh i mean for one thing you know in a movie the point of view is is very loose you know the, it's like if you know in harry potter they'll they'll cut away from harry to show something that the audience needs to know but in the book you can't do that of course yeah. if you're over somebody's shoulder or if someone's narrating you have that person if they don't observe it then it doesn't happen right, right. Uh, or if they don't not told about it it doesn't happen and uh, there's a section in the book that I hit hit
0: that, and that stopped me for like nine months because my dad was like, "Nope, can't do that." So your dad, your dad, and being he, a being a longtime writer, a lifelong writer, he knows a exactly. thing or two about novels and exposition and the importance of structure.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Well, I was laying on the couch as a kid watching TV. He was sitting next to me, you know, reading uh, action adventure novels, yeah, or, yeah. mostly military stuff. You know, just because he was had been a naval aviator. Uh, and he, you know, I'd be watching. Granted, most of the time I was a kid, I was watching Gilligan's Island, which is kind of trash TV. <laughs> but he was reading trash novels and telling me oh, that reading was so much better.
0: Fair, fair <laughs> trade, fair trade.
1: Yeah, yeah. When I was watching, you know, MASH or All in the Family, then I could throw down with him. But uh, so anyway, so so, so tell my me, dad, tell did me. The he, editing.
0: Okay, so he did the uh, editing, but what, in terms of of. When you wrote a draft, let's say of a chapter, a spell check, or what do you use to to sort of get through it? Because it's a slog for anybody, let alone somebody with dyslexia.
1: It is a slog, and I didn't. You know, nowadays, of course, the spell check will come up. The uh, uh, you know grammar, <laughs> you'll get all kinds of little things going. Oh, you, don't put a comma there. Okay, fine. Uh, I I don't particularly worry about it. I used to when I was a kid. I used to be afraid to write a note saying, hey, I'm walking to the store, I'll be back with it in a little bit. I used to be afraid to write that down because my dad, being a novelist, I was worried I was going to spell something wrong, I was going to put a comma in the wrong place. You want to find some bad spellers and bad grammatical people, talk to novelists. Um, They're terrible at it. You know, you get what's called a line edit that comes after you. Yeah. deals with spelling and deals with...
0: Do you agree that one of the reasons they're probably lax and terrible at it is because they figure, hey, it'll be fixed in the edit. (laughs) Somebody's being paid (laughs) to edit this if you're a big-time novelist. Yeah, fine. Yeah. Interesting.
1: And again, you know, I was diagnosed so early. I have kind of a a unique thing because, you know, at Summit School, everybody's worried about your... They were worried about the self-esteem of a dyslexic. So, you know, I was constantly told Einstein, Da Vinci, Edison, Churchill, Benjamin Franklin, Sigmund Freud, Rockefeller, Mm -hmm. Cher, you know, all these (laughs) dyslexics that, you know, that have made it. So, you know, when I graduated from high school, I was like, well, I'm obviously a genius. Give me my money.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You are a cocky son of a gun, I'll tell you. Uh, People, when they read uh, Kia and the Morian Treasure, the opening line uh, is a grabber. Right at the beginning, you know you're in for a, a, a bumpy, in a fun way ride, right? I mean, you have a, a you. wry sense of humor. I, I see you more as a Guardian of the Galaxies guy than, a, than an Iron Man guy. You've you got that wink-wink uh, in, your, in your writing. Well, thank you. That first line, by the way, came right from the Xena Scrolls novel that I couldn't, uh, that I couldn't get sold to Universal. If you're reading this and I'm not dead, then get out of my stuff. <laughs> Beautiful, love it, and I love the fact that it's it's young ladies. I think that's exciting and fun I, and and thank you and very expressive. Part of
1: what took it so long to uh, to get published was that publishers kept uh, uh, they were like, you need a boy character. Uh, Little Brown wanted to change the narrator to a boy, mm-hmm. uh, and my agent was like, you know what, you know, don't do that. Uh, I agreed. Um, they wanted to give the sidekick who's narrating, uh, you know, a, a male interest, and it's like she's got a lot on her plate. She doesn't need. Oh, I hope that boy likes me. You know, <laughs> I, there's too much going on for her for yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I tried in a lot of places, and that's that can be very difficult as a dyslexic or a writer in general is is uh, having to go back and and change something that has become part of you. you
0: know? Yeah, shoehorning uh, I tried. something.
1: It didn't work. Yeah. So now it's coming out from a very small press um, and I'm having to do all the PR, you know. it's a uh,
0: uh, Authors have to do their own PR anyway uh, or hire someone. Right, right, um,
1: right, right. So a small press isn't much bigger, different than big press,
0: well, the, the thing, a big press. Well, the the thing about these kinds of characters and these kinds of genre pieces is there is a built-in audience, right? I mean, you've got fans out there who have yet to be fans because they haven't discovered the book. It's just out. But uh, conventions and uh, blogs and websites devoted to these characters and offshoots, you're you're definitely looking at an audience that's built in. We just got to make sure that they wake up and discover you.
1: Here's hoping. And by the way, uh, for the parents with kids, um, with dyslexia, who are looking for stuff for them to read, um, there are a ton of dyslexic authors, and uh, a dyslexic writer is not going to give you 30 pages on the history of the
0: elfin forest. Yeah, gotcha. We're going to get to the point, and our sentences are simple, our
1: words are simple, and it moves along quickly, and it's usually really smart. Um, makes so you want. You makes find, you wonder
0: if uh, Ernest Hemingway might have had a little dyslexia.
1: Maybe, very Because possibly. he was
0: so tight with his words. Tell me before we wrap up, the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, you're on the board, yes. it says there. What is that society doing these days for kids, and what do you do on the board?
1: Uh, I'm on the board as the uh, in the Los Angeles region for the published, traditionally published authors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I'm always looking for chances to help writers get their stuff out there. Um, the society is huge. It's worldwide. If you are a children's book writer or illustrator, you need to be a member of the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Gotcha. That's what my agent told me. I think I write science fiction. Everybody else tells me they're, children's, they're YA. Okay, fine. Whatever. So long as somebody buys a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so long as adults aren't ashamed of reading it, they shouldn't be. Uh the society does all kinds of things in terms of promotion. In terms, of if you're just thinking about writing a book, they will help guide you. You can find other people who are doing the same thing, or find someone who's one rung up the ladder from you. I always think that's a wise way to move forward. Don't you know? Don't go to Judy Bloom and say, you know, can you help me with my novel? Go to the person who's who's just gotten an agent or has just finished their novel and they're trying to get an agent those are the people that are going to help you that that you can learn from the ones that are just a little bit ahead of you and uh, scbwi.org is a great place to start with that kind of
0: thing. Thank you for that Uh, reference that's really important. Um, You've been terrific. I would love you to and I think I know where you're going to go and what direction you're going to take this last question to offer uh, from the galaxies beyond some sage advice for both the young kids out there who are dealing with dyslexia at an early age and for the parents out there who are uh, facing this this issue in 2022 which is a whole different time than when star trek the original series was on and you were a kid (laughs) what what (laughs) words what words of wisdom would you like to share uh
1: i'll go with what a teacher who was teaching a class called Learn to Learn at Wake Forest University. Mm -hmm. I took it in high school. And I went up to him after the first day and said, uh, you know, I'm dyslexic. And he said, he's the first person to ever respond to that in a way that made me listen. He said, really? Wish we knew what that was. Hmm. Boom, I'm listening. Then he said, the majority of people on the planet, well, he said, you know, there's, there are natural born athletes, right? They can just pick up a ball, any sport, and just play it. They're just great at it. They're very rare. But you can become a professional athlete whether you're a natural born athlete or not. You just have to work harder at it. Hmm. Well, most human beings are natural born readers. They're cells in your brain dedicated to reading. Dyslexics just aren't natural-born readers. Doesn't mean you can't become a professional reader. Doesn't mean you can't become an actor or a writer or an attorney or anything else. You're just going to have to work harder. So, you know, get those eyes going left to right, left to right, left to right. Get this, you know, start to match the speed of your brain with the speed of your eyes. And when I was learning to write, I had to match the speed of my thoughts to the speed of my fingers. Um, You don't want to go too fast or too slow. Uh, So that would be my advice, I guess, is that that you're just going to have to practice.
0: A-plus advice. Terrific. And I, I knew you were going to give me something that I could uh, chew on and my listeners could chew on from all over the planet. They need that kind of enthusiastic response, and we appreciate that. I want to quote from Kirkus Reviews on Kia and the Morian Treasure, brand-new book, stirring and deft curtain raiser to a mayhem-filled, girl-powered YA, that stands for young adult, SF stands for science fiction, saga that doesn't, this is the best part, doesn't talk down to readers. Nicely done. Hell of a review. Good for you, my friend. It
1: is a great review. Thank you. And By the way, I pronounce it, I pronounce it Kaya, you can pronounce it Kia, I don't care, I'm waiting for fans, for a fan to say, you're pronouncing the name wrong. <laughs> Did I say,
0: <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll pronounce it any way you want, Kaya, okay.
1: I say Kaya, but, you know, uh, not a problem. All right. I, I, <laughs> I actually love it, because it means someone read it.
0: Yeah, I'm looking you know? at, I'm looking, I'm, I've got the uh, the PDF before the book actually got published, and uh, enjoyed it very very much what i've read so far and i plan on continuing and i love these kind of genre things also i want to give your website a toss rs millet m-e-l-l-e t-t-e dot com Um, you're a man of many talents and a man of uh... i I think great energy i love it i could just sense it through the phone thank you so much robert and you. we wish you a million sales and many more after that
1: (laughs) thank you very much Uh, Good luck to all the dyslexics out there. Hang in there, man. It gets better.
0: We invite you to visit the author's website, rsmollett, with two L's and two T's, rsmollett.com. The book again, and I'll get it right this time, Kaya and the Morian Treasure, brand new science fiction for the young adult market and old guys like me who love this kind of stuff. And thanks for listening to Dyslexics Wanted. Please feel free to contact us at our new web address, dyslexicswanted.org. That's dyslexicswanted.org. We welcome guest or topic suggestions. We want to share your story. Dyslexics Wanted is a production of the Web Innovation Center for Dyslexia.